0: This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 554, for April 12th, 2017. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. Sorry, I'm doing silly voices right away. I'm Glenn Fleischman, <laughs> senior contributor to Macworld and a Simpson fan. So there you go. And um, good news, everyone. Here's Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie.
1: Hi, Dr. Glenn.
0: Terrible, terrible news. Um, uh, now I'm doing Futurama. You know, just kind of like to mix it up a little bit. Um, uh, this, there's a there's a uh, method to my madness, which is uh, we have some follow up on uh, on clips on the clips app. So I'm doing clips from shows. Get it, sort of.
1: Oh, you're remixing them too. I'm in remixing a fun way for millennials.
0: You may know me from such previous stories as clips, and um, yes, I'm. It's all the millennials out there know what I'm jiggy about and uh so clips is apple's app uh they announced <laughs> they announced before it was ready to ship apple's getting all into this vaporware thing but only by a few days <laughs> apple's like we got apps coming out in a few weeks we got computers coming out later this year we got computers coming out we can't even tell you we don't even know when it we was have computers only coming like up. a week or two i know it's so strange before. though yeah what, what were they prepping us for we needed to be ready for clips i'm ready for clips are you uh, yes. so we got a couple stories. We got a story about it let
1: it let other developers um you know pack that their their um, freak out app titles <laughs> and names with the word clips to get them up to the top of that app store search cuz like true. the day that it came out everyone was searching for it clips. and of course the app store search is terrible and you had to just find the link on Twitter.
0: There's a good uh, Monty Python sketch in which the interviewer is saying and you brought a clip a film clip it goes on and on. Dr so it's a dentist. anyway you can so find it. so now you
1: could make a little reenactment of that and then you yes. could use that that live uh, live titles feature sounds kind of cool so yeah. it's like if you have people talking or you, you, i guess you could be talking and then kind of dictate a little title and it'll show up on the bottom so you know those videos that you can see on Facebook and and they auto play but not the sound and then you can still see what's happening in the movie because you know there's there's subtitles telling you what's going on. So you it'll be easy to make the easier to make those on your phone. Caitlin says it's a little confusing, not very intuitive. Like they were kind of going for the Snapchat. Let's hide all the controls with little <laughs> symbols and not use words anywhere. Kind of use aesthetic. your words.
0: Use your oh, words. Yeah. Developers.
1: But it's, you know, it's nice to have something that isn't, you know, a timeline based editor like iMovie where you really feel like you're you're putting together a movie. And that kind of feels like overkill or too much effort for, you know, something little that you're just going to put on Instagram or wherever. And yeah, there is, as we thought, um, no social component whatsoever. You're just making these and then sending them out where you want. Which kind of made me think of, you know what we need, and maybe this is like a step in the direction, but we need um, a video equivalent of um, drafts, you know, drafts for text. It's like an app, and you open it up, and you just start typing. Yeah, yeah. you don't have to know if the thing you're typing is going to end up being a blog post that you want, you know, in this app, or an email that you want in your email app, or even a tweet that you're going to, you know, tweet out with your Twitter client Um, You just start typing and then it's kind of like a fancy clipboard and you're just sort of typing right into the clipboard and then you decide once you've got what you wanted to say down, you decide where you're going to send it. Um, We sort of need that for video because some of these apps are good with um, video from your camera roll and some of them really aren't. Mm. Like so Snapchat, you can, it really helps to shoot in Snapchat and you can, import a video but it looks different and it's just it's not it's not the same it's not as good as if you shot it in snapchat and the same with like instagram stories and i think instagram stories you have to shoot it in instagram i'm not sure there's an import in there at all so i know clips you can you can import clips but i wish there was something where you just open it up and shoot and know that it was going to be able to go Anywhere, so maybe that's just Apple like improving, you know, the video sharing APIs between apps, and that'll come with an iOS update. But I'm I'm kind of jonesing right now for something like the drafts model, but for video.
0: Well, I think we talked about how I like Instagram because um, not for video. I don't really use it for video, but uh, because it's got that built in, uh, like it it's a social network, yes, but it also has a one button share things to Facebook, Twitter, Swarm, which I don't use at all. I don't even really know exactly what it is. It's an app that millennials use, I'm sure. And, uh, right, <laughs> I but I and never use
1: Instagram to shoot. I use it to like, just yeah, I use it to like, oh, yeah. publish.
0: I don't think I, yeah, I don't either. It's but it's a great hub. I like I like its editing tools when I need to do mm-hmm. some editing. Um, oh yeah, it's got good non-linear you know What non-linear I do sometimes, controls. I'll put
1: the phone in airplane mode. I'll edit a picture in Instagram that I don't intend to like put on my Instagram feed, but I just want it like, you know, I want to crop it and put an Instagram fi- filter on it and save it and so i'll put the thing in in airplane mode i'll do the edits in instagram i'll try to post it it'll immediately fail because the phone's in airplane mode i'll say never mind cancel but then that picture the edited version is in my camera roll and it never went on instagram
0: that is a good hack
1: i used to post it and delete it right away but if you put it in um airplane mode you don't have to do that
0: yeah, because uh, the I used a uh, was it Snapseed? I think was the app. I forget if Google still makes it. I think they acquired the company, uh, but it had a lot of controls that were Instagram um, like. In fact, it might still be out there. But the thing was, Instagram has while well, it has its filters, which were one of its big early things, and I I feel like people use filters much less these days. I think it was a fad. And people got over it, so it's used much more sparingly. Well, now you can adjust the filter, so you can use
1: like half filter. But yeah, the editing tools are quite good. I use like the um, the straightener; their straightening tool is the best. I mean, I have other editors, but I never use them because Instagram has everything that I need, and it's an app that I'm super familiar with because I use it, you know, every single day.
0: It has, it has good nonlinear controls like uh, and Shadows and Highlights. And um, it has uh, – they have a tilt focus also, which a tilt-shift focus, or shift-tilt focus, which um, you could overuse, but it's that thing that makes mm-hmm. real objects look really tiny. So yeah. sometimes – it I mean, it basically puts – it does artificial out of focus outside an area you specify. And for certain kinds of things, it – Makes um, it makes stuff pop and especially for aerial photos or photos taken out of a window of a building. Um, it's kind of neat. It's a uh, yeah, it's used, I forget what uh, there's a TV show that uses it very effectively in the opening credits. Um, where Mr. Uh,
1: Rogers' neighborhood
0: was that? No, those are actually tiny things.
1: I know, but then they kind of use the tilt til- shift on it. Oh, too. I, did,
0: tilt shift. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Oh, that's funny. No, there's um. Oh, oh know, it no, it's makes it look more it's, epic. Uh, it's Sherlock. The uh, the new, uh, the newer BBC series oh, um, okay. uses it very extensively, and it's a, it's a neat effect when used sparingly. But, um, yeah, Instagram as a photo filter. Well, so clips. So, uh, I think this is an interesting. We talked about this when Apple announced it, but I still think it's interesting that Apple is not making the mistake of trying to build its own social network again and failing at it. Um, <laughs> but I hope they. It would be interesting if they integrated it like Instagram. So you would link in accounts uh, because Apple already lets you link in a uh, Facebook and Twitter in iOS itself so it's not a stretch to let you share not just to a share sheet but through mm-hmm. something more direct i mean uh, it's
1: really easy to open photos in other apps and to send photos to other you know social networks i just yeah i hope the next iOS update makes that a little that process a little easier for video you can hand off video from one app to the next you can go from a shooting app to an editing app to a sharing app without, you know, with minimal fuss. So I know if I'm going to shoot video, I'm always opening the camera app and it'll still look good in Snapchat.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I think the sharing sheet approach is getting kind of unwieldy. Like I sometimes have like 15 different icons in one row, like, like apps in the top and actions in the bottom. And sometimes because I've installed apps with, oh, things like I'm using Exify, which is a, a Exif examination program. It looks, you look at images, it's pretty cool, but it adds, uh, and I could remove them, of course. You can manage stuff that's in your sharing sheet, uh, uh, but I uh, have a few things from them that I use occasionally, so th- I don't know. I think the sharing approach made sense when you were doing limited things, and now it's difficult. Like, you need a workflow tool. Uh, it's getting complicated. So, well, we yeah, have a- well,
1: they bought workflows, so maybe they're going to try to streamline that a little bit. Like, instead of having all those apps in your share sheet, you'll have actions like you'll have like almost little you know scripts and it'll say i shot a video and then you'll click it and it'll maybe like pop open a little thing that says like which editor you want or like you'll have sort of like predefined workflows that you can choose from yeah because that's like what you know the workflow app did, and now Apple owns it. And oh, by the way, they're giving refunds to people who bought it very recently. Oh, so that's right. Yeah, if you check bought- your email if you if you bought it just just a little while. ago. That's right.
0: Ago. This is kind of the sad part of the uh, startup world: is that every product you love that's a startup will will likely die, right? This is the sad thing. I it's mean, like, they
1: didn't pull it. It's no, still in the they, store and it's
0: free. They removed and, all the non-Apple integrations, though. You can't use Chrome. Oh, so, I didn't know
1: that. Yes. That so they,
0: Almost immediately, right. And so this is the thing. So it's not, so either but maybe be, they're
1: just preparing it and then they'll re- I think they're going to bake it into the i into the OS and sort of re-announce it live. And then maybe the developers will have to update their maybe. apps to use the new APIs, blah, blah, blah. But, but I think, I, mean, I feel like that's an iOS 11 thing.
0: Let me just be a cranky old man and so. <laughs> Go for it! Well, I'm no, here for it's just, that. It's I, whatever Apple does with it. It's still this is. It's just the increasing. Like I'm very interested in um, being an early adopter, but the more you get into stuff that mm-hmm. is uh, has a proprietary function, you can't export somewhere else. Then the more likely you are to be disappointed because unless the product succeeds. Or well, either it has to succeed on its own, and if it venture- succeed
1: too much, because then right. someone will buy it. Yeah, if
0: it, if it succeeds. so you have to find a company. This is kind of uh, Pinboard is a great example. It's an online bookmarking site that's been around for a while. They have a very low price. I think you pay like one fee forever, and it oh, yeah, increases. Yeah, Pinboard's slightly. great. Yeah, so Pinboard, the guy who runs that, his philosophy has been, and it's sort of the philosophy of a lot of like indie web and uh, like non venture capital folks is that. If you want something to persist, you have to build it in a way that doesn't require that you succeed wildly or fail miserably, right? So you build businesses that have a, that have relatively low operating costs and can succeed at many levels of service. And I've tried at times to build businesses like this too. It's very difficult to do that. But I've had nice runs of several years with different projects I've done where it's been perfectly good or even great for periods. And then it sort of tapers off. And it's like, okay, that period of time is over. Um, but I haven't had to support users in any of those circumstances. And that's the thing. It's like if you're successful enough, you either – the entire company is acquired and the product is shut down, which we've seen happen a number of times because, hey, there's a bunch of talented engineers. We need to work on this other project. Here's millions of dollars. Or the product is brought into a company, which then uh, essentially, you know, ruins it, and uh, <laughs> or changes it so fundamentally nobody who loved it wants to use it anymore. So, um, don't fall in love with startup products. Um, but, We've you know, got a you-
1: few examples. I mean, just looking at our list of things we're talking about on this podcast, we're talking about Little Flocker, which was acquihired, um, and um, Pebble watches. What's happening now that? You, with, Fitbit with those, once those, they're and... going to shut down their servers. So, no, you're right. Yeah. It's
0: just a common thing. It's um, it's uh... it's the early adapter <sighs> blues. Yeah, I know. And that's, I don't want to tell people to not buy. I mean, this is kind of my problem with HomeKit and that whole world, too, is, is I don't, how do I, you would advise someone to buy something they install in their home that could just stop working. So
1: Well, HomeKit is less risky because it's devices talking to devices over Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. Right, like they they don't no, really no, have right. to the software updates and firmware and stuff like that comes from, you know, back at the home office, but you're it's the not like it was that smart things where it was like running on the hub and like when the hub didn't work, like everything was just going to go dark and like so that's an extreme example, but yeah, don't yeah, buy it to Yeah, HomeKit alternate. is one of the more safe things because, like, really, it's just it's mostly Bluetooth.
0: No, and right, HomeKit, right, and it could be ad- adapted if things change. But HomeKit yeah. requires a you know custom chip from Apple, and I don't think Apple's walking away from it anytime soon. But the companies making HomeKit products, it's just I hate to tell people buy stuff from established companies because that means nothing new happens. But the flip yeah. side is, right now is a weird time. Um, well, all right, that was but a that's digression. That's what people
1: like us are for, and we come out there and, and we'll tell you take, what's good. take the punches for everyone. Oh. Um,
0: speaking of punches, this is really a punch. This is a bad transition. But you no, know, this it's a it's a uh, happy thing, which is you reviewed, uh got one of the new a Hawaiian iPads. Hawaiian
1: punch, if you oh, will. A, oh yeah. <laughs>
0: um it's great. No, that's the wrong one. Oh yeah, that's what I must say. Um That's kool Man. New iPad. Uh, the one that replaces the um, previous uh, iPad of its size. It's just called iPad now because that's not confusing. Uh, you've got a, a hold of this thing. It's 329 bucks is the entry-level price with a modest amount of RAM, but more than before. And uh sounds like... 32 you, gigs of storage. Yeah, that's good. So it's not great, but it's not bad. 32 that's gigs is good. fine. That's good.
1: I mean, they, they used to start at 16, so well, at 32. They're 16 and a, yeah. we always bought the 16s to review because, you know, they're the cheapest one and we're just reviewing them. But then... They would kind of get adopted into people's homes, and 16 gigs is a struggle. So just having 32 is great, and it's only a hundred. Bucks more, you get one hundred and twenty-eight. So that they, seems I like think the right did, one. Finally, did us right on the storage. No, I think
0: uh, yeah, thirty-two gigabytes. I agree. It's if you're doing everything in the cloud and you have high-speed access everywhere, then like thirty-two gigabytes. some people gig just fine.
1: use them for Netflix and email and stuff. Right. Like thirty-two is fine. And, and once like, you I, download some movies. I want more storage on my phone because that's what I'm using to take photos, to take videos. Yes, now Netflix, Amazon, and of course iTunes, they let you download movies, so if you're taking a lot of movies with you, you need the bigger one. Pay hey, 100 bucks
0: extra for that, right?
1: Yeah, if you're doing like video editing projects with it because, you know, the the big touchscreen is is better to edit videos if you're using especially timeline-based things than the phone, then get the big storage. Um so the, I mean, but if you if you're really just like I watch Netflix and I do email and I web surf on it and it's just kind of my like fun on the couch, second screen, you know, Twitter, whatever. 32 is fine. It's way, way better than 16. 16 was a struggle because you have to delete apps sometimes.
0: But you're happy with the performance and the size. I mean, you're saying this this is a great alternative to the 9.7-inch Pro.
1: Yeah, I don't miss any of the Pro features. So the Great. Pro has it has four speakers. That's kind of nice. Um, but the speakers on the little guy are, are just as good. Um, and then it you don't get the smart connector. But the smart connector has been kind of disappointing. Um, like I don't really like Apple's smart keyboard, which uses it. And then there's like one Logitech uh, keyboard that uses it that people say is pretty good. But y- you have so many just Bluetooth keyboard um, options that that don't use the smart connector that i you know i feel like it's it hasn't really lived up to its potential um so uh that's that's not really a big selling point for the pro i don't think and then the apple pencil okay so the apple pencil's really nice but the 9.7 inch pro starts at 600 and then the pencil's another 100 so that's 700 bucks just for that package the cheapest you know one you can buy and you can get, you know, two of these other iPads for that. And there's other um, Bluetooth styluses that do the pressure sensitivity and some of the stuff that the pencil can do. Um, Adobe has one called the Ink. So mm-hmm. I'm uh, going to get one of those in. Like we reviewed it, but, you know, I haven't used it in a couple of years. So I'm going to get one of those in and write about using that with the iPad. So like those just require, you know, Bluetooth. Those don't those don't need the the Pro. The pencil only works with the iPad Pro. And, and nothing else. So, mm-hmm. so you, you you know, there's you have options. You have keyboard and and, and fancy stylus options um, for this iPad, if that's the thing you want to do. So, and then the, the iPad Pro has, it just has Apple's, like, most advanced display technology and most advanced, like, processor, you know, graphics technology. So if, if you're using this as, like, this is my laptop, this is what I do all the work on, and you want to, you know, get something really nice and kind of future-proof it, if you love the pencil... Like it's the iPad Pro is still great, but I think for a lot of people, this iPad is going to do everything they need it to do. It's, you know, it's better than the iPad Air 2 and it's the cheapest like that they've ever sold you know, a, a right. big iPad for. So I'm I'm really into it. Like this is the one I'm going to buy with my money.
0: That's, uh sounds like they finally have, what do I want to say? Like it's not a I mean, it's like a replacement, but for, I mean, this is the, this is the positioning as I sputter about the iPad because it's such a confusing thing. There's been a lot of iPad models, like a surprisingly large number given its uh, the similarity in features between a lot of them, mostly mm-hmm. like processor differences and often not that much else or memory. Um, and it feels like Apple has been trying to give people a reason to upgrade and or update their older devices because you've got people who are using iPads that could be from 2010 or 2012 or whatever. And and we've talked about this many times. I have an iPad four that I just recycled to the kids uh, in my house, but um, it's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with it. It's fast enough too, for what we do on it. The iPad four, I don't, I mean, we're not running advanced graphics things and and super fast games, but so everything we do on it, I have no reason to replace that thing. And we don't use it enough to replace. So Mm -hmm. I feel like Apple needs a hook into people to say like this thing is getting old what could I get as new and for 329 bucks or 429 with the extra memory this feels like they're actually you know thinking about price sensitivity we talked about that in the introduction that mm-hmm. Apple usually only increases features they don't reduce price and this feels like a slightly different direction to maybe try to goose sales by having people go okay maybe it's time to give my 2014 iPad or 2012 iPad to my kids my parents to a school, uh, sell it for a hundred bucks and, uh, get a much like a pretty fast, really solid device that doesn't, I mean, there is some kind of, you know, consumer price sensitivity around 500 bucks Mm -hmm. and people will spend money differently when it's more than 500 or less this Mm -hmm. thing, because it's three thirty entry price at 130 bucks for cellular. If you need that, it's still under $500. So I don't know. So I think, I think this is Apple, tweaking the market in a way we don't always see them do it because they could easily have said this is a $400 device. They could have justified it and just stuck it in the matrix there and they didn't
1: yeah I mean, I think it kind of it attacks a few different things we've been thinking about. I mean, we've heard about uh, Chromebooks becoming more popular than iPads in education, so having a lower cost thing. They also worked with Logitech to develop a case like a kid friendly rugged case that you can drop from six feet and it has an integrated keyboard. Oh, hey. and they made a point of like telling me that in my briefing um, uh, because you know they were like this could this could be an education product. And And then, like so um, when people, you know, uh, kids love, iPads we talk about this a lot too it's like for kids and like business executives like these are groups that use it a lot um, and so when your kids break it like what are you going to buy what are you going to replace it with like you know you you might be like well we need a tablet but I'm not going to spend another $400 because they just broke this one so maybe you look at like a fire tablet or a cheap uh, Android tablet so this kind of puts that more in line of like okay I broke it like it's not that big of a deal because like I can I can replace it much more easily Um, And then, like, when phones got more expensive, like, your phone is, like, not a contract thing anymore. So people are, like, they're spending hundreds of dollars to get this phone. And that is something that, you know, you're going to replace in a few years. So then that kind of like puts tablets. I think that cannibalizes tablets just in like your technology budget, like that knocks them down a few pegs. Like I'm, you know, I'm probably going to buy my next iPhone before I buy my next iPad. Um, But now having this iPad tempting me at 329 has kind of pushed that up the list a little bit. So I think it. I think it having it there really helps Apple, and it was a smart move. Um, and it's just it's a really good iPad. Like if this had come out two years ago, we'd be like, wow, it's so advanced, it's the fastest iPad ever. Um, like when you you do like the the benchmarks, which don't really matter that much on an iPad, but when you do them, they come you know r- right where you'd expect, but like faster than the Air Two, a little slower than the iPad Pro. So it's, yeah, it's good.
0: Yeah. Benchmarks are funny because no one's buying an iPad per se for performance, but you notice it for certain kinds of things. If you're pushing some kinds of behavior, right? It um, runs
1: all the same apps. You're not going to have like, this app works on the Pro, but not on the iPad. That's not going to happen unless it's like something that needs the pencil. That's the only
0: exception. I've noticed I have an iPad, a 9.7 inch iPad Pro, and I've noticed there are stuff, uh, there are issues where um, even with that, some of the apps for using the pencil, there's a smoothness issue. It needs to track the pencil and do whatever kind of rendering on screen to track stroke. And sometimes even with that, I mean, that's particular apps though. So- some apps are better or more poorly optimized to uh, do that sort of tracking. Um, well, this is great. What's How nice to have a kind of hands-down positive uh, review of a thing, like no compromises, the price is right, performance is right, it's a solid winner. How nice.
1: Yeah, I have pretty much no complaints. I was trying to write like the, the pro-con thing at the yeah. end, and I was like, uh, they got rid of the rotation lock switch and someone's like oh that was they got rid of that between the air one and the air two you were mistaken and i was like oh crap okay then i have like literally no complaints
0: it still has a headphone jack too
1: it has a headphone yeah (laughs) let's pray they always will
0: i mean like if your kid is
1: gonna use it like i'm not buying my kid bluetooth headphones like the headphone jack is no i know let's not even go there
0: no it's just funny it's just funny it's like uh, i still honestly don't fully understand that oh i had one more i forgot yeah what's that
1: so um, I think the other great thing about this price point is, um, it's, it's, so they kept the iPad Mini Four around and they didn't change it at all. It's not a new, you know, bump or, to anything, but they just kept it in the lineup and gave uh, made the only SKU is uh, 128 gigs of storage for 399. So I think having the uh, 9.7 inch iPad with 32 gigs of storage for 329 makes it both inevitable and less painful when they get rid of the iPad Mini, um, which will probably be like next year or something. I think they're just going to sell them and, and be done with it. Um, I don't know that. That's just my guess. But anyway, I used to love the iPad Mini, and I was a big like evangelist for the iPad Mini because it was so portable and because it was. A hundred dollars cheaper. Like it was a bargain, you know, price thing for me. I was like, you're not losing that much screen. It runs all the apps mm-hmm. almost as good. And it's cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. That was always my refrain. <laughs> so um now having the cheaper big iPad, I have stopped pining for my like We just broke our iPad mini. So I was oh. like, oh, maybe I'll replace it. I, after this review, I no longer pine for the broken iPad mini. I'm the 9.7, it's a pound, so it's like thin and light enough that I'm not like, oh, it's so much bigger. Um it's just as portable and it's it's got a bigger screen. So, yeah, the 329 iPad is the way to go if you're an iPad mini fan wondering like, should I upgrade to the iPad mini or just get the bigger one?
0: That is a pretty unadulterated positive. Yeah. I like it. I like I it. I guess. Me? I know I
1: feel like one of those those People who gush over Apple and their reviews. No, no, no. We're, we're critical
0: enough. It's just that's why it's sometimes like it's nice. If it's, it
1: sucked, I would tell you. But it's no, very no, nice. It's, they, fi- they have figured out how to make iPads, and I think that only it, took them they, seven with, years. That with this, <laughs> I think this might really help. I think that, like yeah. this is going to help them figure out how to sell it. And like and then think of all the people. Um, you know, we've heard from people like, oh yeah, you know, I want one like for the kitchen. I want one. Like, um, you go to coffee shops that use them for their point of sale and stuff. Like, those people don't need pencil support and a smart connector. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what processor it has in it. So there's all these, like, other places the iPad can go where you don't want to, like, shell out the, you know, the, the big bucks for the iPad Pro. Mm-hmm. So it's perfect for those applications, too.
0: That makes the It makes the lineup more sensible. I mean, when I look at what Apple is selling for iPads, it makes sense to me now what the features are. And why they're at different price points, especially when they, you know, finally discontinue some of the oldest ones, mm-hmm. um, it'll maybe make they'll even go more on sense.
1: different um, upgrade cycles too. It'll be yeah. like the iPhone SE of the iPad line, where it'll just kind of chill in the middle there, while the high end one like gets
0: you know the flashy new,
1: new features.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny because the iPod Touch they updated that what not last year was it last year? It's been a while. It's, a, it's such a funny little thing because there's still a reason to want a small thing that runs ios and the ipad mini is too big for the small thing and the phones are too expensive if you don't want cellular service but yeah, yeah. i don't know their lineup is to me uh the sc regular phone plus and then like you know the mini is like i say who knows what the future is but it seems like it's it's maybe not necessarily needed anymore than the regular I- ipad the small iPad Pro, the big iPad Pro, that's kind of a much more – you can look at that and sort of see where you fit instead of flailing yeah. the way that it felt like before. Uh, so but we worry, still we don't know if the, if the
1: iPad Pro will get an upgrade um, right. this spring. I think there's a good chance it will. And then what I'm interested in and in also seeing is – so usually bef- before this in the iPad line um, – the, the mid-range device was just like last year's. They would keep last year's around, discount it, and that was your, your mid-range yeah, option. Yeah. So now that we have this iPad SE is like the mid-range <laughs> option, will they be like, okay, here's the iPad Pro 2. That'll stay at $599. You can get the iPad Pro 1 for $499, or you Jeez. can get the iPad for $329. I wonder I hope if not, last year's Pro will stick around or if they'll just be like, nope, there's going to be one Pro, one iPad, and then you know you can buy up all the rest of these
0: minis. The price points don't seem to make sense for that because the features won't be that different. I don't know. But a I don't Pro
1: know. One would be tempting, depending on what a, they
0: upgrade for the Pro Two. Yeah, but only a hundred bucks less though, probably, right? I mean, Not that's big, just,
1: that's my guess because that's what they used to. That's what they're like. They discount things when you get last year's model. Don't you usually save a hundred
0: bucks? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we will find out. I, you know, I I do wonder though if Apple is getting away from the monolithic update cycles because it's bad for their business. You know.
1: Yeah, and they don't need to do that with the iPad. But if they're like, okay, this one is like for pros, and it's like the laptop replacement, like you know, they want to, they might want to update that one because you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, but they being could, seen as letting things languish. And the iPhone SE is. Almost certainly gonna stay out of cycle. The MacBook, uh the twelve inch MacBook is out of cycle, sort of. Yeah. So I wonder. They could if be they're aggressive
1: have, with the pro end and like a little more lazy with the
0: consumer end. But they can just they can also just keep putting them and we've got the Mac Pro announcement about you know, it's funny, we talked about this. Oh, this is just a tiny bit of follow up. I was talking about them introducing uh more expensive models, and it wasn't really that. They really shifted everything down a thousand bucks. So their base level unit is now like a six core, yeah. used to be a four core. I was it's confused like about
1: that. It's like a just a different config for the money. Yeah, they like didn't, they didn't bump actually it. change anything. They, cha- yeah. they
0: changed the BTO or the uh, uh, the um, what do you call it off-the-shelf version versus it's the built order. Used. Yes. Um yeah. All right. Well, so the iPad. It's uh it's yeah, a, it thing. Was
1: a lot more than I thought I was gonna say about
0: no, it. No, it. it's great. It's seven years old, and Apple, it's it's probably Apple's it's the most dismal part of Apple's business in terms of it being successful, making a ton of money, a high profit Everyone margin.
1: Everyone loves them. Yeah. And it's like the worst part of their like, earnings call every time.
0: No, it's funny. It's just it, I, they are waiting. <laughs> there is a point for them where it's suddenly going to be, aha, here is the refresh cycle. And they haven't seen it yet. I mean, they've been frank about it. I think this it.
1: one is going to do a lot. They were like, we're, we're pleased with the iPad Pro. The average selling price, you know, did go up. So they were happy with the response. They were yep. getting to it. But then I think I think this thing is just going to move some boxes.
0: It definitely could. Be, yeah, it definitely could. It's, it's a very funny product because, you know, the iPad as a product line on its own, including all the expense and development and all the profit, would be in a remarkably successful business in the consumer electronics sphere. It's just for Apple. It's not, you know, and well, in a company that was selling, if if there was an iPad company that sold nothing else and they had lost growth and they were selling fewer units to be like, oh, they're doomed, even if they had lots of money in the bank. So as a part of Apple, it seems bad, even though it's part of an ecosystem that helps them sell lots of products. Uh, yeah. All right, so moving on. So um, you mentioned earlier brought up the F-Secure story. So Little Flocker, made by friend of the show, Jonathan Zdarsky. Uh Jonathan was hired, as we mentioned, by Apple, which is good news. Good news, everyone, for consumers uh, because Jonathan is a uh, terrifically clever fellow when it comes to iOS and Mac security. And so him being at Apple, I think, is a big boon for not just for Apple, but for us as Apple product users because it is likely – His involvement there will also increase uh, our security and privacy uh, potential, so that's great. However, uh, little Flocker um, is the news came out a few days ago that um, this is the product he developed that uh, primarily, but not entirely, uh, it solves a the malware problem for ransomware. So, uh, folks, you probably know this, but ransomware is a kind of malware that uh, it only encrypts. It encrypts your files and holds them for hostage, but it only encrypts your documents. So it has a much lower bar to cause problems and to get into your system than, say, malware that has to escalate privileges and run special software and uh, call back to a command and control system. Uh, Ransomware just has to get itself in there enough. Um, There's JavaScript versions that work under Windows Even it's just a very low tech thing, which is why there's so much of it. And it's grown. uh, It's the fastest growing category and it's dominated the new virus category on the Windows side. Uh, Most of the viruses afflicting Windows users now are old viruses, variants of Configure and other things, um, where all the new malware just about um, that's broadly targeted is ransomware. So Jonathan was concerned a while ago, as are other security people, that uh, the idea that, that that there could be some effective ways to get what you call user space files, um, uh, the integrity of those files compromised by ransomware, even on the Mac, where we've been very lucky because the bar is so much lower it's so much you know you just have to get something to run maybe someone could figure out a way to package an Apple script that would encrypt your files you know because you double clicked it so it would still require user involvement and there have been a couple of things like uh the tr- transmission uh BitTorrent client was uh, compromised its download uh, over a year ago um, there's some examples out there that are in the wild but they're they still require user involvement and uh they never affected a lot of people so the concerns out there and Jonathan uh, what Jonathan did is, uh, with Little Flocker, is that he created a, a system level tool and got eventually got permission before it was released from Apple uh, for a kernel level extension. So it watches whenever an app or any kind of process on your Mac tries to read or write or execute a file and uh, or touch a directory, and uh, it says, "Hey, uh, this thing's trying to do this. Do you want it to do that?" And the idea is that if malware got into your system. Uh, that you would see a pop-up and it'd be like, hey, Program X, which I don't know what it is, is trying to touch all these files, which is very rare because ransomware, uh, there's some researchers, uh, did some stories uh, a year or so ago about researchers, and this is now uh, fortunately trickled into antivirus software or anti-malware software. Uh, Ransomware is weird is that that, um, normal apps only touch a small number of files, typically of a type they create, Um, and typically in certain places. So ransomware touches every file everywhere of every type. And as a result, patterns can be identified. So uh, way to block it effectively is to make sure that a given app cannot modify files everywhere in your Mm -hmm. user directories, uh, or every kind of file. So little flocker does that. Anyway, that's the background. And I've been using it happily for a while. I know a lot of people have, and, um, A few days after Jonathan, uh, the announcement came out, he was joining Apple, Uh, the Little Flocker site went down, uh, updates failed. Um, I was poking at him to get an answer, but he can't talk because he's at Apple, of course. And then the news (laughs) came out that F-Secure, which is a very uh, well-regarded security software company, uh, has acquired Little Flocker as part of uh, some new efforts they're making. And uh, I've got – I'll have a story, I hope, in a few days about what's going on with that. So the site should be back up soon. I've been poking at them to ask why. It sounds like there's a domain transfer issue, um, but people who are using it, it was a commercial product he was selling. So people using it are like, hey, why can't I use the software? And it's, a—I think, a rough transition point, but hopefully it's got a good new home and and we'll see what's going on there. Um, It's also possible, of course, I mean, I don't know what agreement he made with F-Secure, of course, but um, him being at Apple, it could be that we get little Flocker-like features that are built in, in Apple style, it wouldn't be so obtrusive. It wouldn't be like all these pop-ups asking you things. But there might be more things they do behind the scenes that um, define the scope of what things can do. Um, based on his experience now, having run this software for a while, so that's the news. Another malware story, because you know everybody wants to talk about malware, right? <laughs> we all want to talk about malware. Um, so the story was making the rounds uh, a bit, which is uh, that uh, malware for the Macs is skyrocketing and um, not really true. It's uh, McAfee released a report and one of the, as they do regularly, their quarterly threat report. And it's interesting to read if you're curious about the kind of uh, malware that's going around the internet. Um, but there Disagree.
1: A, well, <laughs> Just <sorry>. kidding.
0: <laughs> From my standpoint. So the part that people uh, emphasized <laughs> was this one chart that showed... Um, uh, so the report looks at the um, number of samples that their software collects from machines on which it's running, right? And the number of samples for malware on the Mac went up by like, I don't know, 1,700%. It was some crazy number because um, it went up to like 450,000 in the quarter. But the deal was it was adware. That was what McAfee said. It's mostly adware, which is installed semi-voluntarily. It's not insinuated onto a machine and does malicious things typically it's yeah, bundled. You weren't so,
1: hacked. You like, installed AdWare by mistake.
0: Right. There's a big difference between con- Configure or um, – there's one called uh, – oh, what is it? Not, uh, uh, humming B or something. Humming There's a, a Humming Bad. Humming Bad for Android that's like 60% of virus infections in the last quarter or something were from that one uh, that one virus. but uh, So AdWare, you know you download a file. Uh, so this is why folks – I will emphasize, do not use third-party download sites. Um, There's one, I think I've mentioned them by name before, Mac Update, that uh, I've written about because they have a paid program where they uh, do not attach any adware. But if you use their public site, you could download Skype from them and they will bundle it with an adware installer. And um, they make no bones about it. And I think it's not an appropriate, uh, well, A, I don't think um, it's appropriate to offer other companies software for download Bundled with something else that makes you money, unless you have a you know permission or license sign with that company, and, I, and I'm not involved in those relationships, but I don't like it. And B, I don't think that any company offering updates uh, to a community should be uh, bundling other software with it, especially adware that um, often involves affiliate programs and other things that does not benefit users. That's how they stay in business. I don't like it. So uh, that's why I say always go to a developer's own site to download. Software. There's almost no reason at this, in this day and age to go anywhere else. So skyrocketing malware for Macs, not really. Don't be sanguine because, as I say, like with ransomware, uh, the, the, somebody who breaks the code on figuring out how to get Mac users to install ransomware effectively, that could wind up being millions of dollars drained from Mac users because uh, typically ransomware is very effective, and the only way to get your files back is either to have a backup that precedes the point at which they're encrypted and go through the pain of doing it or pay some number of bitcoins in the hundreds of dollars range to, uh, to get your files back from ransom. Another security story. Got all of them. Uh, pop-up problem in Safari. Uh, I know. this that thing did that, did that happen to you? What? If you had that happen? The Safari? Uh, oh, you don't like yeah. the Su- Su- and security. Susie <laughs> security.
1: No, both. Both. I was owing for both. Mostly the Safari pop-ups.
0: Yeah, so Apple has fixed the one. We talked about that. Uh, I think I talked about Leah. The 10.3 release of iOS fixed one kind of problem in which Safari could be effectively hijacked with uh, uh, pop-ups um, and Windows that you could never get all of them closed in order to clear out.
1: Some PC World readers were complaining about that. And oh, we figured really? Out, we were figuring out where it was – trying to figure out where it was coming from.
0: Oh, weird. Okay. Well, so they. So you can – The uh, I have instructions. If you're still running an older version of iOS – you can go into uh, exit Safari, go into settings, clear the Safari cache. But here's the thing which I write about in a security column, is uh, that if you do that, then uh, and you have iCloud uh, sharing enabled for your Safari, If you clear your cache and bookmarks on your phone, it clears them everywhere on all of your devices that are linked. So there's no like clear the local cache thing, which is what's really needed. Um, So you need to disable Safari sharing and iCloud before you do this unless you want to wipe all of your stuff everywhere on all your machines and not be able to get it back because Apple, of course, doesn't have a revert process for that one-way operation. Um, You shouldn't need it in 10.3 and later, but if it comes up in an earlier version, there's that. On the Mac, I think this problem is still extant. I think it was uh, more prevalent a couple releases ago. uh, But you can still find yourself in a place where you have endless pop-up windows. You go to a site – since I write about security, I can wind up going to sites to research stuff and they're a little sketchy. And then I will get weird pop ups that fill my screen and try to force me to click stuff. And um, sometimes I do have to click Safari. Um, then we click uh, to force quit to get out of Safari. So um, there's some uh, Jason Snell had encountered a problem like this with a, a, a homepage, uh, an app or something that changed the homepage for his sister's computer in Safari, and eventually he figured out uh, disconnecting his, the Mac from the internet and launching Safari allowed you to change the homepage back to none or Apple or whatever and solve it. So that's all in that column. But, so if you're encountering these problems, you hit them. That's what's going on. Of course, you, can, you, ha- like,
1: you can hold shift down when you launch it too, right? And that'll prevent the mm. the, the same page from opening that you had last no, time.
0: No, there was some issue with that with the homepage. If, if, if the malicious... Oh, yeah, party. it was set to the homepage. It didn't if work. was set for to that, the homepage. Yeah, you can't like prevent it. I know it's. Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. You, there's no way to do it except uh, the most effective way to do it is to disconnect from the internet because then the page won't load. That's all the scary stories, I promise. Um, Pebble Watch. We brought that up earlier just because I know there are Pebble Watch owners. Um, there were a number of Mac folks I know bought a Pebble Watch because they did not want to buy an Android Watch, uh, Android Wear Watch. Um, they wanted to stay out of that ecosystem. And um, some folks, including our own Jason Snell, uh, has the Pebble Watch. And uh, before the Apple Watch came out, and some people kept it after. It's got a long battery life. It's a kind of different device. And um, as we mentioned, you were mentioning earlier, um, it was acquired, and it's sort of being shut down. But uh, there's an announcement that uh, – That the servers will shut down, but um, they'll still, the devices are not going to fail. And I think we got some clarity in what that meant for consumers this last week. Caitlin McGarry wrote a story just explaining what is going to happen uh, when the servers shut down.
1: Yeah, so the data that it's collecting, the health data, is going to sync to HealthKit uh, after this iOS update, which is really great. Um, It's uh, just freeing the watch's functions from um, cloud based servers. So, uh, you'll be able to install firmware updates yourself and sideload apps yourself. So it won't, it it should still work. I mean, it'll, you know, be a little more tinkery. It'll be like, you know, if you had an, uh, your iPhone all of a sudden like wasn't connected to the app store and you had to get the apps like on your computer somehow and then sideload them to your phone, it would, it would be like that. And you would be like, wow, this isn't quite as seamless an experience, but, um, but you know, it'll still work. So and, and the pebble was it was a very popular Kickstarter. So the people who are, you know, I think like the most um enthusiastic, the ones who haven't just stuck it in a drawer. Because that ha- happens with a lot of wearables, like people don't, you know, stick with them. So if you've stuck with your pebble this long, you really like it. And you probably don't mind. You're probably like already sideloading apps to it. So God bless.
0: Yep. And uh think uh you had a point you want to bring up about the um the apple tax <laughs> the so-called apple tax oh
1: yeah so yeah when you hear people like you know snark about stuff like the apple tax like you can kind of remember things like this and think like oh you know when you go with just straight startup companies like smart things and pebble like you know they they might not be around forever but apple has been around for a while and yeah they had their dark time but but what you know, if you buy an Apple Watch, it's gonna it's gonna be supported because you've got a giant company with all the money behind it. So I mean, and the the same thing with, um, uh, some of these other big companies. But and, and it's not to so dump on little companies, but um, yeah, part of part of the Apple tax is that the your relationship doesn't end after you've bought the product.
0: It's true. And setting the the one cautionary tale is sometimes Apple cuts a loop close uh short so you wind up with a device like the um, it's the iPad 2 is that the one that annoyed people so much because it was unupgradable within a few years to a new iOS because of choices made in system limitations so um, there are a few cases where Apple will release something and instead of having a four to eight or nine year upgrade cycle for new uh, new versions it'll have you know two or three it's rare but we've definitely seen it and it, it annoys people who are who have purchased those models, but then eventually it fades away because people move on. Um, but I think, I mean, that's that's the thing too. Is Apple tends to have a longer cycle than most companies, despite a perception that you're paying more for it. Um, it means you can use something longer. Um, just having a discussion with someone about. Uh, oh, my dad has a laptop that his uh, wife uses is starting to fail, and it's a relatively old machine. I think it's a 2008 Mac or something. And he was thinking about getting a new one. They were looking at models and. He, he's like, well, I should get a refurb. They don't need a new machine whatever. And he's like, what do you think about the MacBook air that's still on sale? And, uh, and I was saying, and I was remembering, you know, I had a 2011, I think MacBook air, I used it for four years, very happily. And then I got a 12 inch MacBook because of, you know, which I needed for testing and so forth. Uh, and have been very happy with that here now, uh, two years in it's, um, It's not the most, uh, you know, it's not the fastest machine, but it's been really good for me. And it was a, I really wanted the retina, among other things. So Mm -hmm. it was a good replacement. But I mean, I think my cycle on Macs typically now is somewhere between four and six years, unless I have a reason for work to do something. Um, You can read about my Mac Mini dying in a really delightful way at (laughs) Macworld a couple of years ago, uh, where I had to buy, I suddenly had to go out and just buy a new Mac Mini to get any work done after months of struggling with it. That was a, outlier on that. And I think even that Mac Mini was three plus years old. I think it was out of warranty. Um, but anyways, yeah. So the Apple tax is you're paying partly for good warranty service. You're paying partly for longevity. Speaking of longevity, a uh, report came out about, this is about, there's an ongoing discussion about how repairable things are that we buy. Like how much do we own the stuff we buy? And there's this kind of tension between companies that want to like there's some kind of there's different corners to this, right? And so the folks at iFixit, we've had uh, it's uh, had Kyle Weens on the show before, and I generally like the iFixit attitude, which is a right to repair. Anything you buy, you should have the ability and right to repair. So there's a there's a tension between companies that want to use uh, regulation and DRM and other legal tools to prevent you from repairing stuff because they make money if it breaks, and they either repair it or you buy something new. There's a tension between companies that want to shrink stuff down or use custom parts that are useful for their business model, but are very hard for third parties to repair, including consumers. So let's say it's not intentional. It's a side effect, but it happens. And then there's, um, uh, folks who really want to repair everything because they'd rather not buy something new. They want to extend the life. They don't want to increase consumer waste and they want to get their value out of something. So, and that's like just three of the parts there. Right. Uh, and, uh, it came out, I think it was last year's Motherboard had an article explaining how a lot of stuff we buy that says uh, warranty void if you open this is totally illegitimate. There's actually laws that protect our right to open products. And, um, there's issues about Apple was trying to, uh, you know, earlier this year, Apple said it would actually not void the warranty for, um, to replace, uh, to do certain kinds of repairs on the phone. Uh, was it screen replacement was no longer, uh,
1: Yes, I think so.
0: That was, it. and um, so you know, we're seeing a little bit of motion that way, and and I it has long maintained that Apple does a lot of what it does to remove the ability to repair things, like when it introduces uh, the tri-wing screw. And there's some cases in Extra which Extra
1: glue, just lots of glue and tape everywhere.
0: It's a hassle for Apple's own employees to repair these things too. Obviously, the, the screw was tricky because there was some discussion, is this easier for, you know, assembly line robots to use? The answer is probably no, but maybe, who knows? And then iFixit just made screwdrivers that worked with it. So, you, you know... Yeah. Um, but... In this case, this is an interesting one, and I think it does fall to that uh, issue of is Apple doing this to – so there are some articles out there that basically maintain that Apple has made the home button likely impossible to replace and keep functioning on an iPhone 7 and 7 Plus unless you go and have an Apple Apple do it basically. Mm -hmm. And so there's a case being made that Apple is doing this to prevent – uh, third-party repairs of it. So iFixit is, uh, I think, uh, in their blog entry, which we'll link in the show notes, uh, they make, I think, a more moderate argument, for, which is, which is good of them, that um, Apple used to separate the Touch ID function from the use of the button as a button when it was mechanical. The iPhone 7 and 7 Plus have a haptic feedback non-mechanical home button, and now the function of it working just as a button itself and Touch ID are linked. So... If that button becomes unpaired basically with the phone, a new button can be put in and used. It could be replaced, uh, but neither function will work. So it would be to, you would not be able to use the home button, and you would have to use um, what's yeah, the Yeah, you don't
1: want to replace the home button anymore because, yeah, Touch ID isn't going to work.
0: It turns and on now, uh, I mean, Assisted so- ID. What's it called? Uh, 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 assistive Touch, I'm sorry. So you can still – your phone isn't unusable, and actually the phone recognizes – that the button isn't working and it enables mm-hmm. uh, assistive touch automatically. It puts a software
1: button on the thing saying, "Okay, it looks like your button isn't working. Try
0: this." Exactly. So yeah.
1: So I mean, I, decisions like this, I can see the point where it would be great if you know it was easy for the people who want to you know have replace the stuff themselves or have third parties work on it. But that's just got to be such a tiny slice of like the overall people who buy a phone. And Apple has seen, I mean, most people who do bring in a phone that's broken probably still bring it to the Apple store. So Apple has a lot of knowledge about, you know, what actually breaks. So when they do something like, oh, they're using like more adhesive in this model, like maybe it's because like that, you know, ribbon or that thing was like wiggling loose, like when when the phone was dropped and and this is their thing. Or they're, they're like doing the waterproofing kind of from the inside where they're trying to, like th- this is the component that gets damaged by water. So we're going to, you know, shield that with like extra tape or I, d- I don't know how they do it. But I think... Um, Most people aren't going to get their phone repaired by a third party person, even if it breaks. So they're trying to prevent it's like, you know, preventative health or they're going to make everybody healthier by um, by uh, taking taking these abilities away from like the few people who who actually want to follow through and, and take it in and get it repaired. Um, Like my parents have an old um, iPhone 5C of mine. And my mom was just complaining about how the battery's running out more. She's like, I used to only have to charge it every two or three days. And I'm like, well, I mean, everyone <laughs> ever else charges their phone every night. So welcome to the club. Um, And then she was saying that it wasn't connecting, you know, to networks as easily. And, and so, yeah. And she, they live in the boonies in Florida. It's, the worst um but so there's no <laughs> apple store they would have to go to like orlando and like going to orlando to go to the apple store sounds like the fifth circle of hell to me um so they're not going to do that anytime soon and i was like yeah you know you could try to find like just google like iphone screen replacement and like whoever does that would also be able to do your battery but you know, like their screen is fine but you know like that's how you you google these things and i was like so you could get the battery replaced but most people just don't like they're you know they're they they would have their toaster replaced if there was a toaster you know repaired if there was a toaster like fix it man who would come out and his truck that's decorated to look like a toaster it's just like yeah i i i, I wish th- i wish that <laughs> our society try. still repaired more things but
0: well, um so here's the thing though Here's my counterpoint, or not exactly counterpoint, is the issue with the home button isn't necessarily people replacing the home button. It's that when you're doing a screen repair, it's possible to damage the home button mm-hmm. or yeah. unpair it accidentally. So people doing, people with those screen repair shops may warn you, hey, touch ID might not work. Oh, yeah. Right? Now they have to say, hey, it's possible touch ID and your home button will fail if I replace the screen, at which point then you have to go to Apple to get it repaired. So, um, but Apple did tweak its well, pricing. the whole
1: screen is going to, the whole phone front is going to be a screen and then yeah, I, be, I don't feel like, but, again. I,
0: you know, it's funny. I just don't ascribe this. I don't ascribe this to malice. I think the problem with touch ID, it's not a problem. The feature of touch ID is that you can't just swap another sensor in, right? The mm-hmm. um, identity uh, there's, you know, a chip inside of the iPhone and um, iPads with touch ID that um, the secure enclave and uh, the Touch ID uh, sensor is tied in with that. And so they don't – There's there should be no way to swap in another fingerprint sensor and have it work. Like the, the pairing is a security feature to prevent this private information from having no way to leak in any fashion or be used like your credit cards or other data that's, uh, that's stored in there when it's approved by a Touch ID sensor. So I think um, – I don't want to ascribe to Apple that they – redesign the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus and said, "Hey, let's make it not function. Also, if Touch ID becomes unpaired, let's remove the haptic function. I assume there was a design reason, maybe they did it, but right, the the, re, the the idea that it would increase their repair revenue by designing it that way seems very slight to me. Um, I think it's an accidental side thing and you're right. Once there's a full screen that has Touch ID in, I think that touch screens are going to be unrepairable by third parties."
1: Oh, yeah. Don't
0: you think? Because unless there'll be a way, I mean, how will it's you really get the screen? really good
1: point. I didn't put that together. Well, yeah. Well, you just, you just uh. said it.
0: I'm putting it together. You made the conclusion and your brain did it. Susie, your brain did it. Um, And I hadn't thought of that either. Is uh, the touch ID sensor is going to be integral to the screen and you're not going to be able to pull the screen off and put a new one on? Mm-hmm. So that'll be entertaining. It's going to put a lot of little cottage shops out of business. I mean, because
1: like if they,
0: they could
1: put the, Touch ID on the back, which no, a lot of the Androids have done. Apple is but
0: not going to not gonna design. It was, they,
1: oh, man, they would get so roasted <laughs> no, Apple if is they not going to
0: do this until they can have the Touch ID center, sensor integrated uh, with haptic feedback directly into a full screen. They're, the, I mean the, Yeah, nobody likes the what thing on the back. What if the entire
1: back, so it wasn't even one spot, so it didn't matter where what, you picked it what up. What if you
0: mashed the back of the phone to your face and it recognized your face? <laughs> That's how it's going to work.
1: Last night I was updating a bunch of, I tweeted this, I was updating a bunch of apps on my 7 Plus and it got really warm and I was like holding it in my hands like you do with Coco. I was like, ooh, it's warming my hands. I was like, Chris, Chris, my little son, I was like, feel my phone, it's so warm. And he's like, ooh, and he went to like go put it on his face. And at first I'm like, oh, that's cute. And then I'm like, don't put it on your face.
0: Oh, no, you'll burn do
1: tell, like, how gross – no, just how gross phones are. Oh, like, I'm sorry. Oh, I said like, Which is funny because they're a thing you're supposed to hold up to your face part of the time while you're using. But I try to keep mine as far away from my face as I can.
0: Can I recommend the use of ear pods? Of air pods. Uh, by the way, friend uh, – air update. A friend of mine ordered uh, some AirPods recently and it's, like, delivering May 30th. So they still, have a, still have a supply problem there, I think, possibly. Bummer. Yeah. Uh, speaking of air – this is my transition. Last story, air and mashing things to your face and also frustration. Uh, the FCC has backed off a previous plan or a, uh, an examination of whether mobile phones could be used over cellular frequencies to make calls or use data or whatever on planes. And so as um, people complain a lot about in-flight Wi-Fi, for which I refer you to the Louis C.K. Uh, Louis CK bit about um, the wonders of having Wi-Fi in the air.
1: <laughs> from a few years ago um, but uh
0: in, uh i have been following this field for years and we're going to see in the next um i wrote something about this like like in 2015 i think there's a a huge shift of foot um to satellite satellite was unaffordable for a while it was just too expensive to get much bandwidth through and there simply wasn't enough satellite capacity uh, to serve the airline market at anything like what people expected. Then some new satellites went up, some shifted capacity. Um, there's some some new ones coming, and there's uh, new uh, frequency bands being used. Um, and we're about to see an enormous growth uh, this year, partly really 2018 will be the year, from what I can tell, in which in-flight internet will get dramatically better In uh, in Most airlines offer it where it's bad now. So some airlines already uh, use uh, Viasat as the back-end provider through sometimes through uh, intermediate companies like Panasonic Avionics. My favorite word to say, avionics. Um, And uh, so some airlines you fly, you might be like, hey, this internet's pretty good. GoGo, which was the early company in this space to do Wi-Fi, was using terrestrial-based Modified cellular equipment and they had a very, very, very narrow bandwidth and they did the best they could, but they launched their service right as the iPhone came out and I feel bad for them. Very well run company. You know, I don't have any stake, obviously, but I've written about them for years and they are now the butt of jokes and it costs like if you buy, have you done this where you get on a plane with go-go service and Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I didn't buy – um, internet you buy service buy it on the
1: ground buy it on the yeah. ground you buy it in the
0: plane and it's like $40 for three hours you're like oh yeah. or for, for whatever it costs now so you buy it ahead and it's like what $16 or something yeah. for all day you supposed so to like on-
1: have one kind of in the, in the can yeah, like lasts have a, for a day's year. credit
0: That's the yeah Brian X Chen wrote a story about this at the New York Times a couple years ago. I keep linking to it. It's like yes, it
1: really affected me.
0: (laughs) I know. I know. I'm remembering this story by name. It's like a yes, like a public event. But um, yeah. So buy buy a go go pass on the ground. They last a year, and then they have 24 hour passes. They work across multiple flights. If you've got. I flight. just
1: don't use it. It's like it's not a good experience. Oh, not, and then I'm, I always, have, like, I'm always salty that I paid for it, like when I paid for it. So well, if I have to because for work and I'm going to expense it, then maybe I'll do it. But usually I'm like, nope, I'm in the plane. Just, I'm just think of it this way.
0: 2007 or 2008 service launch, I was on the first Virgin America flight. I've probably told this story before. Long time listeners are getting bored. But hey, listen, I'm an old man. I got to tell my stories. I got to tell my stories. Um So Virgin America... Uh, now part of the Alaska Air Group. Um, they launched, they were the first airline in America to launch the service. I went on the the test for the original flight. We flew up around San Francisco and uh flew with some YouTube stars, flew with some stars, uh like the third-tier actors on 30 Rock, a couple people who you might <laughs> recognize if you watch the show a lot. Um, and uh I was up there with uh Brian Lamb, who uh later founded uh, Wirecutter and uh, a whole host of neat people, and uh, anyway. Um, so it's only, you know, so 2008, you're like, uh, Hey, this airline, this airplane is three megabits per second of service in the air. This is amazing. We could all do email and not much else. So you can maybe do a little web surfing, but incredible from our laptops. Right. And then it's like 2000, <laughs> this 2008. And so, you know, there are already a lot of iPhones out there. And then, you know, very shortly after that, it's like three megabits per second is ridiculous. It's like a tin can, right? So they've upped their service level to on some planes to ten megabits per second, but you have a plane load of people, and you can't throttle devices very well, like none of your individual devices is like, "Hey, I don't have very much bandwidth, I'll conserve it to be a good member of the community. They will take what they can get, they will try to seize it so um this is not precisely gogo's fault. GoGo is switching to satellite they have a a hybrid system and are selling satellite. a lot of other companies are in uh the satellite business and uh being rolled out. So anyway, the FCC decision was not entirely about voice calls, although most of the coverage emphasized the fact that the FCC is basically saying you will not be able to make cellular telephone calls in the air using your mobile phone over uh, mobile phone frequencies. This was really about whether airlines could put um, microcells, like small cellular transmitters, into planes so that your phone would communicate at very low power, very efficiently, much more efficiently than Wi-Fi even, to uh, these uh, relays, which would then be relayed over satellite or terrestrial connections like data. And you'd be able to use your cellular plan for data and for voice uh, and text messaging. So you can do almost everything over Wi-Fi. And most airlines, I think all domestic airlines, uh, ban voice calling over VoIP or Skype or whatever already. And flight attendants will tell you to stop if they, uh, if they see you doing it, it bothers passengers. So this really wouldn't have been that big a difference. Um, except it might've changed, uh, it wouldn't have changed the bandwidth in the air because all the cellular signals would have been going over whatever internet connection was uh, data connection was going from the plane to somewhere else. But, um, it kind of got hyped as, uh, Hey, the FCC is banning voice calls. Is like, well, voice calls are the FCC was not going to, essentially enable and regulate and allow that voice calls could happen over mobile phones. And they've still delegated the authority. The FCC hasn't intervened in whether nor um, the FAA on whether uh, I'm not sure the FCC actually has authority over this, but the FAA delegates to airlines the ability to choose whether voice calls over VoIP or Skype or other means Skype is VoIP um, in the air. So at some level, this doesn't change anything and because Wi-Fi. Is in everything. Um, I don't think it really makes that much difference in the end, but uh, it it came down as like FCC bans voice calls like, well, no, they're just not going to allow your mobile phone to work over mobile frequencies, including. Yeah. For and
1: like, so would they be able to put a paywall between you and the micro cell or would it just be like everyone can connect to it because it's right there?
0: that's the thing is your carrier would be the issue is like for, okay. so carriers already do co-location. Like if you go to an airport or a lot of uh, conference center or whatever, there's usually um, either one of the carriers operates all of the cellular networking hardware there, or there are vendor neutral carrier or, or vendor neutral providers that put in um, cellular equipment that works with every, or, or they run a central hub and the care the various carriers put their equipment there and pay uh, rental fees essentially. And it's kind of a, it's a cooperative deal typically. I uh, used to see announcements about it before everybody got installed and nobody cared <laughs> anymore. So like every airline or every airport has multiple, like uh, not microcells, but they're like, um, they're essentially cell towers inside to provide better service. And um, that's the kind of thing that would be on a plane is a, a company would be working with all of the different carriers to, um, to pass, you know, pick up the signals and pass them through, uh, but essentially be converting all the cellular frequencies on the plane, you know, locally into a data stream that would all be packaged and sent over whatever internet feed, satellite or terrestrial the plane had. So okay. that's not going to happen. There, that was originally the plan before um, Wi Fi was uh, affordable, cheap, and low power. So early 2000s, there were companies that were focused on getting microcells into planes because the only way you'd be able to do 3G data in a plane. At that point, before it was really feasible to have Wi-Fi on a mobile phone without draining the battery, was going to be through microcells. And so, this kind of, at some level, I think it's all just passed by. I mean, Susie, do you use um, Wi-Fi calling? Do you have a Wi-Fi calling plan on your phone for um, not a plan, but uh, I have that enabled on uh, my H and T service. So. But
1: I was, I was just wondering if, like, if if the the microcells, if like you know the The thing about Wi Fi on the plane is that it sucks, and like the more people that use it, you know, it's that they're like, oh, like you, more people can use it because we're going to make it not suck. But if it was, at least the paywall is like there's some kind of like you aren't going to (laughs) pay. Just to, like, do nothing on the on the Internet. But if you could just connect your phone to a microcell and there wasn't any kind of paywall or barrier, everyone would be on it all the time and it would be terrible. Like if you like the kids could just be Snapchatting sure. each other the whole time it's going to be awful. So I think they should like keep the paywalls up because then it's like, you know, the people who are using it, you would hope at least have like some reason to use it unless they're like, I just have too much money.
0: No, you're a good point. I mean, it's a very good point rather you make is um, it, it's interesting because it's, uh, the FCC is making a technical ruling, but there's also that practical effect is that if everyone's mobile work worked uh, for data and voice, even if they can't do voice at all, they would all be, Using even if all the voice time.
1: became taboo, and no one would even dream of using their
0: phone yeah, for a still... voice call
1: because we know how polite we are to each well, other. Well, everyone's in phone the
0: would ring too. Is the thing we all know people's phones would ring, and even like, if so they couldn't like, answer them.
1: When I was a kid, my dad's company had a contract with GE because they they did uh, interiors for planes, and they did those um, they did the seat back phones. Remember the seatback phones? Oh, I remember the seatback phone phones. Every phone, and then you'd slide your credit card. And so once he called me like from the air, and they must have been so ridiculous. It was probably like five, six bucks a minute. And that meant that even though there was a phone at literally every single person's seat, you could have just been gabbing away the whole time nobody did it because it was, so expensive. It was very expensive yeah. so there's yeah, a like, whole story I'm, behind
0: that but that's yeah. a, there was I'm supposed all to be competition for making
1: the the making the technology better making it work better but like i think they should keep it as a paid thing i think i don't think that should be like a freebie they don't even let you bring a bag anymore why should they give you free internet. Because wow, everyone's going to be on it and it's going to be insufferable. You
0: are cum- curmudgeon. No, you're right. I it, am. It's, unless they get more bandwidth. And that's the thing. That's what VSAT and some other... We should all be other...
1: quiet, be respectful, and <laughs> never recline the seats, ever. Viasat, sit, and sit up
0: straight. Viasat, Viasat and other companies are... and other companies are trying to dramatically improve the um, the amount of bandwidth per plane to a point that it won't matter. There's also, before we f- sign off, there's the other thing, which I I don't want to say I predicted because I think it was obvious, but a decade ago, I was like, look, we're not going to be streaming media from the ground to the plane. Every plane is going to have a multi-terabyte drive because they were already, multi-terabyte drives were already, uh, they weren't available. They, they were starting to get smaller 10 years ago, and I thought there'll be a point where it's going to be feasible and expensive to stick like a multi-terabyte drive with all of the media on it from Netflix or whatever different companies will license to be on it, or they'll partner with a plane and you'll just use Wi-Fi and stream locally. Um, and that was back even before 802.11 M with 802.11 AC, there's even more bandwidth available within, you know, a small space like a plane. Um, so conceivably, and that's what airlines are doing. Airlines have increasingly moved to letting you, inst- you know, the seat back entertainment is very expensive for them to run, the, the wiring is an issue. I think Alaska never put seatback entertainment in because most of their flights on the West Coast were short enough. And they were not a no-frills airline, but they were like it's an unnecessary expense.
1: Southwest doesn't have it, and they're like, they you have to pay for the Wi-Fi, but there's like a Dish thing where you can connect to just exactly Dish and watch some free TV. But it's bring your own screen. I think I think it's great. And like the day before, they email you and they're like, okay, here's what you have to do: you have to download this little app. Like there's a little video player app that it uses. So like you go to a web page, you pick the show you want to watch, it launches this app and plays it on your iPhone works really well so but yeah you just have to bring your own screen and have it charged i don't know yeah
0: well we'll we'll I'm see how that,
1: saving saving that money
0: we'll see how that shakes out but now we've we've told everybody my dad
1: called me from the plane once he did he, I had a he call was like on a business trip and i was home sick and he called me from from the from the plane just to be like oh i'm using the phones that my company made ah, hey. did he have to pay Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I was going to say. Well, he so, I mean, for the we only talked for like two minutes. He was like, I'm uh, calling you from the plane. I'm like, oh my gosh. She's like, yeah. Ooh. I was stuck then, like, plane on a
0: runway for hours once because of a storm. And my wife and I were trying to get to, I think, her, grand- see her grandmother or something like that, a wedding. So, I used the seatback plane because it was before cell phones. And I used it and spent like 15 bucks to call somebody, United or something, to get rebooked. So, when we got back, we were able to work out the details. When we got back to the terminal, but we were like out on the tarmac for or not tarmac, but out somewhere in a runway for, for four hours. So, uh, saved our trip. Um, Jeff Bezos used to call from the plane all the time. Worked at Amazon briefly back in, uh, 96, 97. He would call into meetings from a plane while mm-hmm. we were having a meeting. He'd be on speakerphone from a plane. I was
1: trying to think of like creative approaches to this because as you mentioned, most of the, um, articles about it were, uh, mention you know emphasizing the 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 phone calls thing and i'm like yeah. okay so they don't have the phones in the seatbacks anymore um where well, they could put a pay phone in the in the very back or like what i came up with was you know how in the movies like if you're at a fancy restaurant and then the guy comes over with the f- oh, telephone yeah, on the I silver tray and yeah, he's like yeah. call for you mr Fleischmann. they I could do that. that you could press the button and they could come with a little phone on a tray
0: i love that yes that sounds like the future susie but if it's
1: about data then I was totally off so anyway but it was it was a fun imagination
0: experiment
1: so let your imaginations run free until next week
0: all all you kids out there in podcast land free as the bits flow as free as the um that's it for me I think by that song um (laughs) Folks, thank you for listening to another episode of uh, the Macworld Podcast. This has been episode 554 for April 12th, 2017. I've been talking to Macworld's executive editor, Susie Oaks. Thanks, Susie.
1: You're welcome.
0: You can find us at macworld.com. Email us, podcast at macworld.com. Find us on Facebook, facebook facebook.com slash macworld. Find us on Twitter at macworld. Uh, You know the drill. And uh, thank you for listening, and we'll be back again next week.